Hi everyone and welcome to the Fintech Germany Award Jewelry Podcast enabled by Financial Times. I am Alexandra, your host today, and we will provide you with insights on the award, our jury members and the latest trends in the industry. I'm sitting in Frankfurt today with Florian Reul. He is a counsel at Linklaters and Linklaters is also sponsoring this beautiful office for our recording today. Welcome, Florian. Great to have you here today. Hi, Alex. Florian, I'm sure that our listeners really want to know something about you and about your career. And when I looked at your LinkedIn, it seems that it was always your dream to be a lawyer one day. Is that true? Yes or no, or as a lawyer would say, it depends on the perspective of how you're looking at that. <laughs> okay, I think this is going to be a very interesting episode today. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, one part of me always wanted to become a lawyer. And I was always, you know, as a young kid, when I started reading those John Grisham novels and so on, it was always fascinating to me. So um, there's this part... Um, which always wanted to become a lawyer. But there was also this other part of me who really wanted um, to go to the movies and to theater. And this is a career path I uh, quite seriously tried at least to um, make happen for a couple of years. Okay, please go into details. Well, I, I was playing theater in those, you know, um, layman's hobby groups where you're just doing it just for fun and mm -hmm. um, I was an exchange student in um, the United States and I played drama there and I got a small scholarship for a smaller university to pursue drama studies there so I thought well okay. this is great validation Hollywood here I come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when I came back um, I still wanted to you know um, keep on doing that. So I started studying cultural studies in Passau mm -hmm. with the goal, like, I don't know, becoming a producer and have that broad um, scheme. But once I started there, I, I quickly realized, well, all in or not all in. And um, I didn't have the guts to pursue that. So I switched to becoming a lawyer and, and being drawn more to that uh, prosaic kind of studies. With law and economics. Okay, wow, that's also an interesting switch. How did you get uh, to Linklaters? Maybe you can also tell us more about that firm, what makes them special um, besides the beautiful office today in mm -hmm. Frankfurt. So um, let us know something about mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. When I was studying law, I was still kind of toying with the idea, how can I get into the movie business? Ah. And at that time, Linklaters was... Um, one of the leading law firms involved in um, movie financing. That was a really big deal then. And so I did an internship with Linklaters in that movie financing department. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I, you know, um, got to know Linklaters. And this firm sometimes is a scary professional. And a couple of years later, I didn't stay much into contact when I was... Um, finishing up my studies, I got a call from Linklaters and they said, well, you're about to be done with your studies. What's your next plan? Do you know? So they had you on the list even before yes. you had them on the list. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, you know, um, I, I felt really flattered. And um, so, yeah, I started to work with uh, Linklaters. And 
Um, to your second question, what does Linklater do? Um, probably not everybody knows Linklater. <laughs> it's not not necessarily a household name if you're not in the banking industry or in mm -hmm. the legal business. So Linklater is a very old, um, very big global law firm um, based in London with a headquarter. Mm -hmm. um, and we are focusing on um, complex transactional work, mostly in a cross-border context, trying to um, yeah, help our clients who are on the forefront of um, interesting developments. So, for so example, new businesses, new examples. Exactly. For us, it's not only always large corporations. It is always, it has to be a challenging deal. It has to be a complex issue. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, why we got involved in the fintech as well, because we thought those are really new developments. You have to figure out all those great new opportunities driven by tech, but how does it fit within the legal framework in different jurisdictions? So we thought, well, naturally, this is something where we thrive in, where we are really interested in, um, you know, working in that space. And so we, we started to develop that, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. And that has been a, a, a big part of Linklater's um, ever growing since we have this global tech sector, we have global fintech sectors, and um, it's been a really, really interesting ride so far. Mm -hmm. If I think of our listeners, which could also be potential startups and fintechs that we have also on our jewelry work, is there a company size or um, anything like that where you start or can even uh, small startups consult you with their legal mm -hmm. issues? Yes, of course they could. Um, to to be honest, Linklater's is a, a rather expensive firm, so it's not necessarily always um, the best starting point. But I think that really depends on um, what you're looking for and what the issue is you're trying mm -hmm. to solve. So the more complex yes. and the more demanding the case, and yes. if it's involving cross-border issues yes. and maybe different legislations yes. and these kinds of things, then you are the partner of choice. Absolutely. And and we do work a lot with um, fintechs all across the globe in different forms, sizes and um, along their, their different um, growth stages. So um, yes, absolutely. Um, that's something we are really looking forward to work with. And I mean, the good thing is, of course, we have also venture capitalists in Germany and most of the fintechs yes. have funding. So yeah. um, you, I would also say that funding is very well positioned in terms of legal consultations, because uh, if you miss out to do something right from the beginning, it can be much more expensive in the end. Yes. You say Linklaters might be expensive, but maybe it's absolutely worth it in the beginning. I think this is um, our our opinion as well. Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, because, like like you said, you don't want to keep messing with the same problem over and over just because mm -hmm. you didn't do it right from the beginning. So our goal would always be, you know, um, if you come to us, then you get very good advice, and that hopefully should free up your time for for innovative stuff down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, if we go also then back to the awards and the jury work, what motivates you to be part of this jury each year? And I have seen you are, you are also quite experienced. You have done it some years, so you have also some sleepless nights. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, please go into these details for us. Yes, I think um, there, there are two main reasons. First of all, for us, 
um, at, at Linklater, so for the firm, we think it's very important to support the ecosystem, the fintech ecosystem as such. So we have in all all our offices some form of local um, support for the community. Um, so this is something, you know, we are, we are just interested in. And secondly, for me personally, I think um, it is just a really, really good opportunity to see or to, to get a big um, view on the market. What's happening? What are the trends? Where, where and how is new tech being employed to provide new solutions? And um, that has been absolutely fascinating to see that in that broad variety um, of, of different fintechs you get to see as a jury member and then come back and look at that a couple of years later mm -hmm. how that has developed and how the problems and the ideas they were working on have mm -hmm. been picked up by other firms, by banks, have become mainstream or you know fizzled away so um, I think This is just very, very interesting. And last, of course, um, it's always the people and the connections you make. The people and the connections, yeah. yes. And uh, for our listeners, we are also having a jury meeting today here at the Linklater's office where some of us gather today and uh, we'll discuss some of the fintechs on the list. And I'm sure it's going to be an exciting day. And if we go back to the people that you just mentioned, whom would you not have met if it wasn't for this award? You, for okay. example. But <laughs> And you would not be on a podcast, maybe. <laughs> That's true. Probably not on this podcast anyway. But um, I think the person I've been working closely with over the last years is Michael Mellinghoff, mm -hmm. and, um, who is, you know, um, connecting the dots. Him, connecting the dots. And it's just really a fun person to be around and to see how he connects the dots, how he connects people. And that's just been a very uh, great pleasure. Every time I'm impressed about the setup of the awards and what he's bringing together and all the people, the firms, the sponsors. Um, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Um, it, it, it's like this this magic of a startup, right? You have all those different pieces. And if you look at that, you think, well, yeah, of course, There's this person, there's this idea, but the ability to bring that together and then produce that big award night and have that, you know, special feeling around that, that's just really, really cool. And I guess it's also a good thing for Linklaters to be a sponsor of the awards because you get more visibility into the scene and some fintechs uh, might think, okay, who is this firm? Uh, we are going to talk to them and if we have complex problems. Mm. I think this is, uh, yeah, it's helping the whole ecosystem so that you have the awareness of who is doing what in the industry because it's still not as big as it could be. Yes, and I think it's, to a huge part about credibility. Mm -hmm. So I think sure. I cannot advise about something what I don't know, right? I have to know the people, I have to know their problems, I have to know how the tech functions, mm -hmm. at least to the extent a lawyer can understand that. <laughs> but but um, I'm sure you have specialists as well. We do have specialists. We have, for example, um, blockchain programmers on our team, which as a resource we can use to... Um, so yeah. are these only programmers or are these people that have education on both on the legal side and as well on the... Because sometimes I, I know it mm -hmm. from projects with fintechs as well. It's not always easy um, 
to get project people, salespeople and developers and the blockchain people are a yeah. very special part of um, those groups. It's not always easy to bring them all together and make them speak the same language. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest challenges in advising in that area, right? You have to kind of translate the different languages of tech and business and legal. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own lingo and, and they have to understand each other to work towards that common goal but um no we, we have a, a pool of of real hardcore um developers we, we can draw on um, when we you know don't understand things or need their input and mm -hmm. you know that's the beauty of the the blockchain i think everybody finds their own limit of how deep they understand that technology and mm -hmm. to be able to draw upon that resource has been um, really valuable And that brings me to another interesting question, maybe. If you also advise these companies, these startups, these fintechs with very innovative business solutions, new technology, how do you use new technology in your daily work or mm -hmm. um, at Linklaters per se? So is there anything you can maybe talk about? Yes, of course. Um, that's also a very interesting area. It's broadly covered by that um, buzzword of legal tech. Mm -hmm. So there, there are also legal tech startups who are trying mm -hmm. to disrupt the market. So that's that's very interesting. Um, but for us, one of the key points where we are trying to utilize technology is everything where we can be more efficient. And I think AI is a huge part what we are looking into and what we are trying to um Yeah, make happen for us as a lawyer. For example, um, where where the technology is quite advanced, and what we regularly um, use is in in large M and A transaction mm -hmm. or due diligence processes, we use AI as a form. Of, I don't know whether it's real AI, but you know, it's it's mm -hmm. close enough, I think, to um, like the discovery project where that scans a lot of thousands of documents based on our objectives, and then that um, filters out just the relevant documents and that just saves hundreds of hours of, you know... Of the associates that yes. normally would go through these in, in all-nighters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's a kind of a trade-off, right? Yeah. Uh, that has been traditionally very lucrative for the big law firms to have tons of people who mm -hmm. spend hours going through that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and now you don't need that anymore in that degree, but... Let's be honest, nobody likes doing that, right? That's not why you study law and that's not the most exciting thing. So mm -hmm. um, I think technology should enable us as a firm to, to focus on the stuff where we can bring real value mm -hmm. that's not cannot be automized or uh, provided by tech, but where... Mm -hmm you know, solution-driven. So, And that's more fun for everybody. Absolutely, I agree. And um, I'm also trying to use more AI in my daily business mm -hmm. um, or for daily communication. You can rewrite captions for social media or, yeah, you can really do a lot of cool things. So um, I think you just need to be curious and um, give it a try. Yeah. But always to critically think again about uh, what the AI has produced but I have a follow-up question on that one so um, there are some people especially in Germany that also say um, there are certain 
professions that are threatened a lot mm -hmm. by AI. And some say it's everyone who is producing something like uh, journalists um, or even uh, in the film industry. Mm -hmm. Right. This is why we have now these um, yeah. uh, strikes uh, there in the US in, because, in Hollywood, yes. yeah, because they don't they don't want to um, pay the people enough because they just want to bring them via an AI into the movie. Yeah crazy but um, in Germany also some people say that lawyers are also affected or threatened by that so how do you see that? I think I, I agree to a certain degree I think everybody will be affected um, mm -hmm. because it's such a powerful technology which can be used in so many ways would I say that the provision or profession as such is threatened I'm not so sure about that I think that discovery tool we discussed is a really good example. I think at least for a long time, um, AI will enable us to be mm -hmm. more productive, to do more with less, right? So I I think the way I view it, um, we should not be threatened by AI, but like you said, you need to be curious, you need to try that out, you need to find ways to utilize that, and then um, it should, you know, help you focus on the things that really provide value to whatever you're doing, whether it's mm -hmm. to your client, if you're a lawyer or um, if you do something else, if you're a journalist that should free time up for, you know, do the research or whatever. So um, I don't know. I think it will change the profession, but I don't really think uh, um, that this will threaten the profession. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the jury work, of course, we can also not use <laughs> the AI. So every one of us needs to needs to go through the list um, themselves. Is there something that um, you saw this year wasn't on the lists last year? So do you also see certain trends that come up more or other trends that mm -hmm. we don't have on the list so much? So what's your view on that? I think what has become a little bit less is um, trying to reinvent plain vanilla banking in some form. Mm -hmm. So yeah, here's true. another card, here's another account. Digital looks good, mm -hmm. works fine. But I think the, the level of innovation involved in that kind of, you know, it's there, it's doable, it has been done. Mm -hmm. So I think this is um, not as dominant as it was earlier. And um, I feel that data-driven ideas are on the move, mm -hmm. and and I think um, that's that's in line what what we see in our daily advisory business and and in European legislation and that data in the data-driven economy just becomes more prominent. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like that this is um, also reflected here in in what we are seeing in the um, fintech jury and mm -hmm. that's also another observation as um i feel what has happened is what we're seeing here in the the fintechs it, they're at the forefront but two three four years later what they're working on has become more and more mainstream and it's been picked mm -hmm. up by bigger institutions and other players and so i think that's it's a very um good thing to have like this um thing on the pulse 
of mm -hmm. time. What I have also seen, or in in my view, it's um, uh, compared to last year, it's a lot less crypto and yeah. more AI. And sometimes I feel that some companies just place AI all over the pitch deck. But if you look a little deeper into it, it's not always there, right? And I mean, the people on the jury do the job very well. Most of us are extremely proficient in all these kinds of fields. And um, I sometimes wonder what the fintechs are thinking when when they apply and there's just a pitch deck that really doesn't say so much. I, I agree, but I think that's not necessarily um, only in the fintech space the case. I think that's True. you know, everywhere in, in society or with the banks. So there's always great projects really mm -hmm. thought through and there's always links well, you know AI is the new blockchain let's put that label let's on there let's jump on and, it right yeah so um, I agree but um, again we had a great list this year I'm uh, very excited about the upcoming discussions and also the event so um, if we look on the fintechs and maybe for the upcoming year and the next year, the upcoming phase for our listeners that could be potential fintechs on the list next year, what would you say, what trends do you see particularly relevant and which topics should they solve in your view? Oh, that's a difficult question. You can also think, look as mm -hmm. a customer. We had this episode with Alex in the very beginning and he was complaining about services in, in banking. So mm -hmm. he said this could be one of the problems he wants to, <laughs> he, he wants to address. But um, yeah, interesting to hear your view. I think um, where a lot of value can be created, where we are still at the very beginning of that innovation cycle is indeed um, what you can do with all sorts of data and driven by European um, regulation data and banking data finance mm -hmm. data will become much more wider available in the market for other players mm -hmm. just mentioned FIDA and open mm -hmm. banking and, and, and so on so I think there are Many issues um, that center around data use, starting with how processes are made and built in a bank. How can you be more effective? How can you be more mm -hmm. efficient to AML monitoring, KYC onboarding, providing mm -hmm. identities that can be used in different contexts mm -hmm. to, um, yeah, just that level of, of service people will start to expect due to, you know, the availability of more and more tailored um, situations. Mm -hmm. And if you're not able to harness that and to, to build upon that mm -hmm. expectation, that, that will be very difficult. But, you know, as always, that's a great chance to, uh, if you are in that space and if you are able to deliver solutions in, in that um, space. And That's very interesting in that regard because I worked in banks for um, yeah my whole career since the financial crisis. And of course, the new banks, the new banks, they have the great tech, they have the right mindset of the people, they have great apps, UX, UI, everything fits into today's customers' demands that you just mentioned. But the I would say the um, established banks, they have something which 
is the data that's a huge treasure i would say which they do not use i mean they have they have data of customers of spending of investments for a couple of not years but centuries yes and also some banks they have the whole range of people that invest in a country i mean they don't use it right um yes and I think that that's a very interesting trend you mentioned. I was thinking about that when I was, you know, um, thinking about the stuff I wanted to talk about in that podcast. I think, first of all, um, for fintechs, I think they found a new respect for banks and the traditional businesses, how they do it, how they are able to, you know, be profitable for such a long time, run such a complex mm -hmm. uh, organization, maybe even in different jurisdictions, it's super challenging. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think there's there's newfound respect. And then on the other hand, I think banks are starting to learn quite a lot from, from fintech, how to be more innovative, how to start to employ that technology. And um, so I think that there's more curiosity on, on both sides um, to, to explore and um, try to learn from each other on that regard. But Yes, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I have just read there's one bank in Germany that has started the four days week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, some of the banks uh, really try to get new people in the hiring. And mm -hmm. interestingly, they said after they announced they have a four days work week, you cannot choose the, the free day. They said, okay, Friday we close down for everyone. That's mm -hmm. a given. But they said in an interview... Um, they have more and more and more requests uh, for people that want to work there. So seems like uh, this is also a trend that companies should at least maybe give a try or have a look at. I'm not a fan of the four days uh, work week per se. Um, there are so many people that want to work more and want to be paid more. So that's also fine. But yeah, there are all kinds of trends that we're currently seeing and mm. I'm curious about what's coming up next we have one last category florian um, you know it as we have also produced some of the podcast episodes already so we have one question that nectarios asked for the next podcast guest he didn't know it was you so um, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but the question was what was your biggest failure and um, what did you learn from that? So if there's mm -hmm. anything you can say, we are curious to hear it. I don't know whether it was my biggest failure, but since we are just coming out of the summer and this summer break um, was for me at least exceptional because I didn't repeat my failure in that regard. Okay. Um, so... Here it comes. I think my biggest consecutive failure where I'm, I don't know why, but um, I, I fail to learn from that. Um, I really often fail to realize um, the vacation I've booked for a number of reasons. I don't know how much money I've already paid for vacations I didn't go to. Um, it's not okay, that's contrary <laughs> contrary to uh, popular belief. It's not uh, Linklater's fault. It's just mm -hmm. um, I don't know a different different kind of reasons. But I always book things not with my credit card, so there's no um, travel insurance, and then I can't go. 
So if someone's listening and is maybe a good travel advisor, please go ahead. <laughs> open for suggestions here. Or, yes. may, or maybe a good personal assistant. Um, but it's an interesting uh, failure. I can I can also tell you one of mine. I was starting at a company and then there was a poker game and they asked, who are you? What are you doing here? And I said, yeah, I just started like two days ago. And I was really excited and I was very young at the time. It was one of my first jobs. And then I asked the um, guy who asked me who I was, who he was, and everyone was silent and everyone was laughing. Yeah, and it turned out to be the CFO of the company and uh, this was the running gag for over the next weeks. And after that, I learned uh, everyone from all the management boards um, before I started at the company. So that never happened again. Um, but maybe the question, I like the question and maybe mm -hmm. I take the question as a standard question for the next podcast episodes. The last, the very last question we have on the podcast is a question that you ask the next guest. So what is your question for the next guest? Mm -hmm. I think at least in the UK and in the US, there's currently I don't know whether it's a big debate, but it is a debate and a topic discussed quite quite a lot is, is university really worth it? And I see why that's, you know, a different pressing issue than it would be here in, in, in Europe or Germany. Um, but still, I think especially for people who are close to the startup and um, fintech cosmos, I think it's still a good question. So mm -hmm. my question would be... Um, If you could do it all over again, would you go to university again or would you skip it? Wow, that's an interesting one. Okay, um, I take that that one with me. You need to listen to the next episode to hear um, what's the answer. And then we are at the end of our episode today. Florian, thank you so much for your time and also for being able to record this in your well-positioned office. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Alex. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening today to this episode of the Fintech Germany Award Jewelry Podcast enabled by Financial Times. All further information can be found in the show notes.